always relishes an you know, opportunity this great, for his uh, ego to be checked. Jesuit uh, <laughs> community uh, joke that when you're sitting in a community before dinner, there's this great line that Jesuits are common for saying, especially Father Sundrip. He says, you know, enough about me. Let's talk about my new book. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the unflinchingly young, unequivocally hip, and unabashedly lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I am Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey guys. And Zach is in China right now. So yeah. to keep this as simple as possible, we found a different Zach. <laughs> or maybe it's more confusing. I'm not sure. But we've got we got Zach with an H. <laughs> but the H is silent. The H just, is just silent. a reminder to our listeners. H is silent, and my name is Zachariah. Oh, well, oh, there we go. Wait, so. I'm very biblical. <laughs> and he's also a Jesuit. Yeah. I am. Thank you for joining us, yeah. Zach. Thank you for having me. Welcome to Jesuitical. <laughs> so wait, technically we're kind of lying about the lay part because... We have a Jesuit oh, on right. this week. We have a Jesuit on. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How long have you been a Jesuit? What do you do? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm Zach Brasuti. I'm uh, a Jesuit of the uh, Northeast Province. I'm the executive director for Thrive for Life Prison Project here in uh, New York City. And um, yeah, that's about it. Nice. Cool. S- simple as that. What's Thrive, Thrive for Life? It is a prison project here in New York City that does spirituality and education for incarcerated and uh, formerly incarcerated um, individuals. We're in six different correctional facilities here in New York City. Great. Awesome. And I'm very grateful for America Media giving us books to staff uh, prison libraries throughout New York. So thank you. Of course. Great. Today, we're super excited to be welcoming back Father Jim Martin, um, who was our first guest. Seems like such a he long was. time ago. He um was. He has a new book out called Building a Bridge, and it's especially timely talking about um, LGBT Catholics and the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. It's the one year anniversary this year. Jim's book was published the day right after. So it's especially timely. We're going to get into the kind of work he does with the LGBT Catholic community. And after that, we'll bring you Consolations and Desolations, where we tell you where we did or didn't find God this week. Yes. And we should say, just so things don't get confusing, that we pre-recorded this interview. So you'll be hearing Zach without an H. Lazak. <laughs> Lazak during Jim's interview. Yes. Uh, Jesuit Zach for the rest of it. Yes. Um, and we're just going to throw you right in. Uh, what's on tap, Zach? What's on tap? Well, I have it right here to read to you. <laughs> I, and I do read English, so I'm happy about this. The Mexican City Mule. Okay. What you do is you take two ounces of tequila <laughs> and pour it in a glass. Take juice from a half a lime, but I saw that more than half a lime was being squeezed in here. <laughs> Four to six ounces of Reed's ginger beer. There okay. we go. Ah. Very complicated. And this came from Jake Brainard, um, who said, this is for our, our environment. It's a green drink. So, Laudato Si. Yeah. Laudato Thanks, Si. Cheers. Cheers. Praise be. <laughs> All righty. So... Now it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Up first, breaking news out of Rome. The tailors and cobblers <laughs> are very upset with Pope Francis. Um, they, or they're not upset. They're trying to adapt to Pope Francis's papal athleisure. 
his clothes are a little more simple mm-hmm. than oh. his predecessors, and that has not exactly been good for business no. for the people who make shoes and vestments for um, Pope. And then this trickles down to cardinals and bishops and priests. They also they they take cues from the from the big guy. So there's a little bit less work for the the fashion fashionistas of Rome. Yeah, apparently like all of these tailors were used to the Vatican being trendsetters and super fashion forward individuals. Absolutely. Um, so <laughs> Pope Francis is really kind of clamping down their style. Um but I like Pope Francis is a minimalist, so yeah. you know he's simple. I like that. Do you take cues from what the Pope's wearing? Well I'm actually a little bit disappointed in the Pope in this, you know? <laughs> I really I you like, like the red shoes? I like color. I like lace. You know? <laughs> I just think it adds something. And yeah. the less lace, no, it just doesn't, you know, bring out the fanciness that yeah. I like to see. No, the yeah. Crux interviewed some of these these tailors and cobblers, and they were clearly trying to be diplomatic and not um, be negative towards Pope Francis. But one of the cobblers said when it came to Pope Benedict, um, when it comes to clothes and such things, he was very, very elegant person, um, as and as opposed to Pope Francis, who has more of a rustic simplicity. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> so. rustic simplicity. Okay, I'm going to create Shots a fired. Yeah, I'm going to create a Pinterest list called "Rustic Simplicity of Pope Francis." <laughs> no, but I will. It, I in this article, I learned that in 2013. Uh, Esquire magazine named Pope Francis the best dressed man of the year. So some people like this. Okay. Best dressed man of the year? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> In the entire world. Want to vote on that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, also, coming out of the Vatican, uh, Donald Trump might not have read Laudato Si, Pope Francis's encyclical on the environment. But he was gifted it. But he was. He was. And a week later, dropped out of the Paris Climate Accords. But, <laughs> but you know, we don't have to bring up old news. <laughs> That's actually snooze. This week, a couple of venture capitalists have launched what they're calling the Laudato Si Challenge, um, in which startups will compete for $100,000 um, for uh, businesses that respond to the challenges highlighted in Laudato Si. So climate change, um, food insecurity, things like that. This is going to happen at the Vatican. Uh, the startups will compete and eventually they'll have a demo day uh, at the Pontifical Academy for Sciences and one of them will win. So, And this is not endorsed by Pope Francis, right? Because I think a lot of people who might not be familiar with how the Vatican works might think, oh, Pope Francis is really like tied into this challenge, but... He's not. This. Yeah, it's unclear. I, it, they're calling it a Vatican-blessed thing, but th- things like this always pop, pop up. So, like, Steve Bannon talked or gave a talk at the right. Vatican a couple years ago, and people, like, jumped onto that to be like, ah, Steve Bannon and the conservative cardinals at the Vatican are in cahoots. So, yes, a lot of things happen at the Vatican. But, I mean, I don't think Pope Francis would be opposed to this event. Um, we talked about a few weeks ago how he gave that TED Talk and was like, you know, we should be using technology to help humanity. Right. Um, so, yeah. Maybe they could invite him over to uh, sprinkle some holy water. Yeah, that would that would <laughs> probably help. <laughs> and now on to some actual Pope Francis-endorsed uh, Vatican news. Uh, the Vatican <laughs> has released its first World Day of the Poor message. Now... The message, the statement was released this week, but the actual event will be taking place in on November 19th. Pope Francis is, as he usually does, kind of reminding us that we can't be indifferent to the growing state of poverty around the world, and we really have to be in touch with the marginalized communities. I think that's going to be kind of his legacy, actually, you mm-hmm. know, just calling 
people back to this very root of the gospel. Yeah, and yet you want him to be wearing fancy lace. Ooh, all the, the more lace, the better. <laughs> they call me Monsignor in the prison. They call me Monsignor, Monsignore. I like it. Actually, I'm going to start wearing some lace, I think, to the prison. See how well that goes over. It would go really well with your clerics, I think. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'll uh, make sure I hit up these uh, designers in the Vatican. To help me out yeah, with that. they're they're looking for clients. I'll give them clients. some business. Yeah. Uh, there was a study recently that uh, looked at different denominations, Jewish, uh, mostly Jewish and Christian, and saw, like, among the clergy, how did they break down among Republicans, independents, and Democrats? Um, so you might not be surprised to hear that your Reformed rabbi is most likely a Democrat. Your Southern Baptist pastor is probably a Republican. Um, and Catholic priests, interestingly, were just like right down the middle. It was like a third Republican, a third Democrat, a third Independent. Hmm. Um, so hard, hard to read. Um, but yeah, I don't tend to hear uh, that much politics in the pulpit. But what have your guys' experiences been? Well, you know, I mean, for me, I'm I'm preaching in prisons and jails. So, mm-hmm. I mean, many people don't get the joy of hearing my preaching. But you know, <laughs> if, if you'd like to sometime, I can you the script is a good read, good meditation for you. Um, but, you know, something curious happened after the election of Trump. Our team was driving up to um, a federal prison, um, and it was after the election, and we were all really nervous because we had heard the rhetoric of, of President Trump. And so we thought, what are we going to say to these people who've gotten life in prison? Some of our undocumented, and we need to be really prepared to hear them, and particularly we're preparing to hear their disappointment in, in what was happening. Well, we got to the prison and uh, we it was the day after the election and I said, you know, uh, you know, we, we need to keep in our prayers uh, the results of these elections. And uh, one of the guys piped up and said, oh, this is wonderful. He's going to make America great again. The diversity of reaction is just... Um, the same as on the outside as, as mm-hmm. it is on the inside, right? I mean, uh, different people have different opinions and different outlooks. And uh, I don't, I really stay far away from political rhetoric. Um, I might uh, enter into issues like issues of immigration, issues of social justice, mm-hmm. criminal justice reform, right? But, and, and I try to do it from the heart of the gospel and try to stay away from the ideological rhetoric that, it's, it's very divisive. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I, I have the same experience as Ashley mentioned. I don't really see politics brought to masses. And I think I, I do, I would like to see more of it because I think we're in a political time where it would be nice to kind of see a priest bring that mm-hmm. to like preach that to the congregation. And it's interesting. We ran a survey back in January and 80% of the readers surveyed felt that politics weren't discussed enough yeah, in, sure. in the masses they were going to. So it's clearly something that people want, right? I think I'm afraid. Okay. Why is that? I wonder if other people are afraid. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm afraid to really speak publicly about that. I don't really have the courage to talk publicly from my own, from what I really think politically um, off the pulpit. Uh, you know, I grew up in a, I grew up in a parish that uh, was quite conservative mm-hmm. and conservative of ideological church things were mentioned quite a bit and you didn't have to say go vote for this person you could mm-hmm. be very clear i didn't grow up even knowing about immigration issues i mean mm-hmm. i knew about abortion and i really thought that was the only social issue um until later on in life right i think 
you shouldn't. I would be turned off if someone was kind of like, you know, all Republicans spew this really angry rhetoric or all of these Democrats spew this really diff- problematic whatever. But if you're in a, you know, a, com- a community, a parish in the South Bronx, and it's predominantly undocumented immigrants, how can you avoid what certain politicians exactly. are saying about exactly. immigration, you know, and this is an actual fear sure. that so many people have. And I think, and I guess that I, I, I find it like, how do you do that? You know, I, mm-hmm. and I don't have the answer, but I'm saying I think it would be difficult to keep politics out of that. And I think exactly, Olga, what you're bringing up about um, this, the example of the South Bronx is exactly what the preacher should be doing because he knows his people, right? This is an issue for his people. He's right. he's he's shepherding these people. He knows what's relevant for these people. Um, I think that would be a very key thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. These this is an issue that affects directly this population that um, are in the congregation. How could you avoid it? <laughs> You know, the question that arises, well, what about my parish? You know, it's an all-white parish, uh, middle-class, hardworking um, New Yorkers. What happens then? I don't even know that there's immigrants because I haven't seen one. Yeah. More and more, the Jesuit, my Jesuit brothers are talking about over dinner about how difficult it is to preach right now. Mm-hmm. That it's it's so difficult uh the climate the environment that we're, that we're that we're that we're living in to actually preach the good news of jesus and really trying to keep everyone together right a call to unity and and understanding that diversity of the church i've been really edified by that but it's that tension that is that's real and palpable yeah all right if there are any priests or deacons or anyone else who preaches um how do you how do you grapple with this? What are, what's your approach to preaching in the era of Trump? Let us know at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. And now we are super excited to welcome back our very first ever Jesuitical guest, Father Jim Martin. Welcome back, Jim. My pleasure. Great to be back. Yeah. So um, we, you are here today to talk about your new book called Building a Bridge, How the Catholic Church and the LGBT Community Can Enter into a Relationship of Respect, Compassion, and Sensitivity, which is out June 13th, correct? Correct. It's a lot of words. Yeah. It is a lot of words. Yeah. I've, I've been practicing for a while just so I wouldn't uh, mess it up. And um, it's a tiny little cover, too. It yeah. takes yeah. a yeah. sort of cram on the cover. Are like most of the pages just the title, pretty much? <laughs> And congrats on your uh, your career's really taken off after you were on Jesuitical. You got a book coming out? And... Seriously. You're welcome. You're yeah, welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Book coming out, Vatican appointment. Right. Oh, yeah. ex- right. Yeah. A lot of big things have All happened. All that exposure. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. The yeah, Jesuitical yeah, bump is serious. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The Pope, the Pope mentioned that in his appointment letter. Yeah. <laughs> He's a fan. Um, That's right. We have another fan, too. Do you want to read that letter that we got, uh, which was kind of interesting? Oh, yeah. yeah so, what, what's the origin of this letter? Uh, I, I got invited to a wedding and the uh, by a couple that I met at a talk. But the interesting thing was a little post-it note that they put on there, which says... So, we loved your talk at Catholic University in the fall. We often listen to Jesuitical, and we would love to have you at our wedding. Heart, Laura, and Kevin. There yeah. you go. So, so I'm I- assuming that means <laughs> yeah, love right. all of us That's at the right. wedding. Um, the yeah. entire team. We do live shows. They pro- <laughs> they're probably listening now. You know? So, get ready Congrats for... on your wedding. Yeah, get ready for an extra three people. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, you have this new book. Mm-hmm. What... It, what 
prompted you to write it? Well, um, for a couple of years, uh, for many years, actually, I've done kind of what you would call informal ministry with LGBT people. They come to me for direction, uh, spiritual direction, um, counseling, uh, advice, things like that. Um, but um, after the uh, massacres last year uh, in a gay nightclub of 49 people uh, called the Pulse Nightclub, um, I, I felt this desire to really speak out more uh, forcefully and more formally, I would say. And one of the reasons was that um, in the wake of that, uh, very few bishops, very few Catholic bishops really even mentioned the words gay or LGBT. And that really struck me that even in their death, they were kind of invisible. So when um, New Ways Ministry, a, a group that ministers to and advocates for LGBT Catholics, asked me to accept their bridge building award, I thought it would be a good opportunity to kind of speak more formally about what I thought about the LGBT community and the church, the institutional church. And so that talk um, formed the basis of the book. That's the first part of the book. And then the second part of the book, um, something I wanted to put into print for a long time, which is a series of Bible meditations and uh, reflection questions specifically designed for LGBT people, their families, their friends, their allies, um, to kind of help them meditate on their place in the church. So the book is really uh, two parts. It's the first part, which is the talk, a kind of uh, invitation to dialogue, respect, sensitivity, and compassion. And the second part is, you know, really something you can give someone on retreat. Uh, or if people are particularly, I'm, I'm thinking of like young people who are struggling with their identity. What's the reaction been like so far? Because I think, uh, do are people surprised by the two ends of this bridge? Well, they are. That's a good question. Um, the reaction has been really positive, uh, particularly among the LGBT community, uh, who really, I think, are kind of desperate for any sort of lifeline to the church. I think one of the most moving stories um, I can tell you is uh, I was giving a talk at um, the Yale Catholic Center, the um, Thomas More Center, which is a great campus ministry center, on Jesus. And um, most of the questions, because the um, person who introduced me uh, said that I was coming out with this book, ended up being on LGBT Catholics, not on Jesus, which was interesting. And at the end, um, at the book signing, uh, this woman came up to me. She's elderly. She looked like sort of central casting for grandmother, you know, white hair, a sort of apple-cheeked uh, older woman. And she leaned down and she said, Father, you know, I have something to tell you. And I thought she was going to say, oh, I liked your book on Jesus or I was in the Holy Land. And she said, um, my granddaughter is transgender. And I love her so much. And she's really felt distanced from the church. And I'm really grateful for this book. Thank you very much. And I realized that, um, you know, ministry to LGBT people is ministry to their families and their friends, too. It's much broader than just that population. So it's been very positive. Um, you know, I got uh, two endorsements from two cardinals. So the um, the institutional church has been supportive. Uh, you know, on the far, far right, I think I would say, um, there have been really some kind of vitriolic comments. There are a couple of websites that follow me and anything you say positive about LGBT people, you're going to get uh, pushback from. But, you know, I, everything, uh, in this book has been approved by my provincial. There's nothing against church teaching. It's really just using the catechism, respect, sensitivity, and compassion as a way to bring people into a, a deeper relationship with LGBT Catholics. I was really struck by how strong, uh, Bishop Robert McElroy's, uh, blurb was. So was I. Yeah. If I could just read it real <laughs> yeah. quick. The gospel demands that LGBT Catholics must be genuinely loved and treasured in the life of the church. They are not. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I told him, I said, uh, that that's farther than my book goes. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's really strong. And uh, he's been a great advocate for LGBT Catholics in San Diego. And, you know, even the, um, you know, Cardinal Farrell, who works at the, uh, as prefect for the Vatican's Dicastery for Family, Lady, and Life, and Cardinal Tobin, 
their their blurbs are very strong too. And I I have to say, I mean, speaking more spiritually, as it were, I really feel like it's a kind of Kairos moment. Something shifted in the church that to enable people like that to speak out, to enable me to publish a book like this. And you know, I think most of it's Francis. You know, as well as more and more people coming out, uh, which means more and more people uh, have have a kind of relationship with uh, LGBT Catholics. So I think there's this feels like a shift's going on to me. I also think it's the way you wrote the book. You're, it doesn't feel like you're pointing the finger at anyone. Like you said, it's an invitation to both sides and a and a call to conversion on both sides. You you're not just telling the hierarchy like listen up, listen. You need to pay attention to LGBT people. You're asking LGBT people to like um, have that same respect and compassion for the church, which is an old institution that takes a while to change. Yeah, I, I, that is what I try to do. I think, um, you know, I have many friends who are LGBT Catholics. And I have many friends who are hierarchs. I mean, you know, bishops and cardinals. And so I know they're both communities, you know, have goodwill and to take them, you know, as a good Jesuit would, uh, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, I, I, I'm getting more pushback from the LGBT community who are saying, you know, I don't know if I can treat the church with respect, sensitivity and compassion. But, you know, I, I point out that those are, as you say, those are Christian values and those are things that even with people you disagree with, you know, you're called to kind of, um, you know, exercise. So I, I think that the LGBT community will think I've not gone far enough and the bishops will think I've gone too far. So I think that's probably the best place to be. <laughs> so what what are the some of the reasons that you're hearing from the LGBT community as to why they are so unwilling to sort of allow the church back into their lives? Because I think it's something we are all familiar with in our circle, but I think yeah. for our listeners to kind of broaden that a little bit more. That's a great question. Um because they've been treated like dirt often um, by priests. I, I get a lot of Facebook messages um, on my public Facebook page. And yesterday, I got a message from uh, someone in um, in the Southwest, uh, I'll leave it vague, uh, who said that they were looking for a priest to anoint uh, an LGBT person who was dying in a hospice because the local priest would not do it. You know, so there's this, this great feeling of exclusion. You know, they're insulted. Um, uh, they're, they're ignored a lot of times. Um, there are snide remarks made in homilies. Um, and, and, you know, and they're fired. I talk about that in the book. I think that's, uh, completely unjust. It's, it's, it's a very selective, uh, sort of, um, focus on LGBT people, whereas straight people, heterosexual people who are on married relations or in single relations don't have that same uh, microscope applied to them. So they're, they really, I mean, I say in the book, they really are treated like lepers. I mean, you hear the most incredible stories. And what I'm calling the church to do, the institutional church, so that's, you know, the hierarchy, priests, and, uh, you know, anyone who works in an official capacity, including lay people, is to listen to their experiences, to listen to their hurt, to accompany them, and really to go to the what Pope Francis would call the peripheries. You know, I often say that um, they are the most marginalized group in the church. I think the, the the group that would probably parallel them would be women. You know, many many women feel marginalized for a number of reasons. But you know, at the Vatican, you have International Women's Day. You, you have you know women serving. You, you don't have International LGBT Day at the Vatican, which kind of maybe draws some smiles. Yet, yet um, that was before you were an yeah, advisor. Well, that's right. Yeah, we'll see about that. Um, and so they really they really do feel um, excluded and. Um, I'll tell you another quick story. Uh, a gay man who came to see me said that he went back to mass for the first time this uh, Easter and uh, because he thought that was a good time to go back. And the homily was on same-sex marriage on Easter Sunday. And he was so offended. And he thought, you know, well, the one day I thought that I wouldn't have to hear about how terrible we are. 
was, you know, the Feast of Christ's resurrection. But uh, this priest decided that he would talk about same-sex marriage. And so there, there, there's so many, it's such a good question, Olga. There are so many reasons why LGBT people feel marginalized and frankly are marginalized. So it's not just that they feel that way. They have been pushed away. And, and there's a, a very radical call to the, to the LGBT community who, as you say, is treated like dirt to also reach out. You know, that's not an easy yeah, message. Forgiving is not easy. Especially if they have been treated like dirt, as it's, you said. It's hard. You know, the compassion uh, I call for from the LGBT community is looking at the bishops in the complexity of their roles and also seeing that some of the bishops may themselves be struggling with their own sexuality to sort of be compassionate about that. Um, yeah, and it's. I think it's going to be a challenge for the LGBT community. However, I would say that the onus is on the institutional church. You know, so it is a there is a distinct power differential and and the onus really is on the is not on those who have been marginalized but on the ones who have done the marginalization you mentioned the different ways that lgbt people have been mistreated by the church um but i assume that there are parishes or individuals who are making or are out do outreach to LGBT people? Are there any examples that come to mind that have been especially good? Yeah, that? absolutely. Um, I mean, the one that comes to mind that's nearby is uh, Church of St. Paul the Apostle, which has a group called Out at St. Paul's. There's Most Holy Redeemer Parish in, in California, St. Francis Xavier in New York. Uh, yeah, and I say in the book, you know, not every bishop needs to be castigated. Not every parish needs to be scolded, you know, because you're right. There is a lot of great outreach going on. There are LGBT support groups. There are masses. Uh, and, you know, on a, on a simpler level, I think we, we long for the time uh, in the church where there isn't an LGBT outreach because they're just welcome. Right. I mean, you don't have very much a woman outreach because, you know, women are welcome in the church to come to mass and participate in the life of the parish. So I give some examples of, of ways that there can be outreach. But, you know, really, there are so many places um, I would say. The bigger cities are generally better off at that. But if you're in a small town, sometimes, you know, you could look far and wide for a place where you, I mean, prescinding LGBT welcome, where you feel welcome, where you don't feel like you're being excluded. That's the person I was thinking of is like someone in the middle of the country. Sure. Maybe, and like, what would you uh, say to that person? What advice would you give to that person who's, you know, I mean, a lot of us take for granted, like, you can just say, oh, go to a parish that welcomes you. Yeah. Where as if, you know. Everyone has 20 parishes to choose from. Right. You know, Zach, that's a great question. And I get that. I, uh, one of the things about this Facebook page is I get, I'll probably get a question like that a day, you know, and it's really sad, you know, and they, and I sometimes look up, uh, you know, on, on, in the Jesuit catalog, if there's a parish near them, I usually say, first thing is, look, you're, you're baptized. So you're Catholic. That's the first thing. It's your church. Don't let anybody push you out, right? You're just as much a Catholic Mm -hmm. as the Pope is or the local priest is or I am. Number one. Um, number two, you have a right to feel welcome, right? And you have a right to be treated with dignity. So I'll usually, I'll usually say, look, look, try to find, as you say, a welcoming church. If you can't find a welcoming church, try to find maybe uh, a Catholic campus chaplaincy. That's usually, they're, they're usually pretty open. Um, and if not, um, you know, just hope that. Listen to uh, Jesuitical. Listen You're to welcome Jesuitical. in our community. Yeah, you are very welcome. <laughs> but actually, yeah. I think like. It's, it's hard though, but I mean, there, there's a sense where. You know, you can't drive, you know, 40 miles yeah. every Sunday. No. And, 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 uh, you know, that, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, because frankly, that should not have to happen. We shouldn't have Catholics who don't feel welcome in their own parishes and who have to drive 50 miles just to feel, you know, like they're, they're not dirt. Um, I'll tell you a great story if you don't mind. Um, when I was at the same talk at, uh, the campus chaplaincy at Yale, 
This guy stood up and again, it was about Jesus, but all the questions are LGBT stuff. This guy stood up and said, um, he's about my age. He said, I have a son who came out to me and we love him so much. And I wanted to let you know that, um, I meet every month with our local bishop who's not particularly, um, open to some of these topics. And I talk to him about my son. I couldn't believe it. And he said, do you have any advice for me, father? And I said, you're doing the work. (laughs) You're on, you're building the bridge. I just wrote a book. You're actually doing it. And so, so there are these, so in a sense, there are, there are activists and advocates who are already doing this stuff. And it's, it's, it's necessary because it's, it really is a, it's a huge hurdle that the church has to get over. And it's a real, I think it's a wound. I mean, it's a real wound that the church has, but people like that really just, Blow me away. You know, interestingly, I said to the guy, you know, he asked for advice and um, I said to him, um, would you ever think of bringing your son who's gay? And he goes, no, my son would tell him to go to hell, which was interesting. So he he is building a bridge for his son, too. Wow. If we could shift a little bit towards the the back of your yeah, book. Yeah, please, yeah, I'd love so, to. So what you what do you got back there? Well, yeah, it's, um, it's a series of uh, Bible passages, which are reprinted in full. Cause I always, I always hate when I go to a spirituality <laughs> book and they say, you know, now go read Luke, you know, five, one to 11. I was like, well, I don't have my Bible with me. <laughs> not so going to do that. Yeah. yeah. Right? So I wanted to put it. And also people who may not have a Bible, you know, handy. So I wanted to put the, the Bible passages that I have found in my ministry with LGBT people to be the most helpful. You know, one of them is Psalm 39, you know, which I, I find very helpful in, in ministering to people. And, um, I quote at the beginning of the book, for it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So there's a sense of kind of you understanding yourself as wonderfully made. And then even stories like the, the Zacchaeus, you know, the, the story of Zacchaeus and the Gospel of Luke. And how does that relate to LGBT people? So kind of short meditations and then reflection questions. Um, the, the story of, the, of Zacchaeus, the Roman centurion, um, the Supper to Mass. I, I pick readings that I think will have some real... Um, meaning for LGBT people and their families too, who are really struggling because it's, it's, it's the book's also an invitation to encounter God in prayer, not simply in the church. So I know there, you, you, you talk about there's a lot of LGBT Catholics who are, you know, not struggling with this identity issue. They, right. They're in the church. They're, but what would you, I mean, we've got, a, I'm sure there's a listener that is very much struggling with this right now. So if you could, what you, and they are confused, they're struggling to find their own place even the relationship to God, let alone the church. Do you have anything to say to that? Of course. I have a lot to say. Uh, I believe it. A whole <laughs> yeah, book, in fact. A whole book. Um, God loves you, first thing. God loves you. God made you this way. You are wonderfully made, just like Psalm 139 says. You were knit together in your mother's womb this way. You know, it's a mystery why you were made this way, but this is part of your identity. You're baptized. You know, you have every right to be in the church, uh, as does the Pope and me and your local bishop. Don't let everyone ever tell you that you're not, you don't belong in the church. You have every right to the sacraments, you know, and can you find a place that's going to welcome you? You know, if you're struggling with, uh, sort of feeling like the church is rejecting you, try to find a place that is not rejecting you. Um, try to find people who are going to accept you as you are and who are going to celebrate your gifts and, and treat you as the beloved child of God that you are. Um, and that, that's, that's essential. You know, I think the harder thing is, you know, when parents reject people. Now, I think that's less the case, but it still happens. You know, I mean, people are, are misunderstood. And, um, and then, you know, the other thing is, is remember that I have a prayer in the back of the book called a prayer when I feel rejected. You know, remember that 
Jesus understands you. He was rejected. You know, he is this person who, you know, despised among men, you know, as the gospels say. And that, that Jesus specifically came down to be with those who feel like you do. Right. And so the Lord understands you. And if you can kind of pour out your heart to someone who experienced that in his own life, right, then, then, then you can feel this sense of intimacy with him. And that's the basis of our faith anyway. Um, so you've been around the rodeo before, so you know what's coming. <laughs> you get to canonize another person. <laughs> well, who did I canonize last time? Jean Vanier? Jean Vanier. Yeah. Jean Vanier. Um, oh, this is great. <laughs> I'm going to canonize Sister Janine Gramic. Okay. Who is the co-founder of New Ways Ministry. And let me tell you, uh, you know, I, you may be too young to remember all this, but, uh, you know, in the eighties, they were really under a microscope. Yes, we are too young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the 90s, having the 90s, uh, Cardinal George uh, in Chicago said they couldn't call themselves Catholic. Um, it was really severe. Um, and, you know, she persisted. And, and, you know, one of the amazing things about receiving this award was to go down and, and give this talk uh, and see people from, from that generation, from the generation of the 80s, um, and also to see people from your generation and younger. You know, there were people from high school there. So here's this woman who has really struggled um, and has really fought and has really advocated at great cost, you know, within her own church. And so, yeah, I'd put her up. Uh, I don't know. I've read every single thing that she wrote. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'd put her up for, if not canonization, then at least servant of God or beatification. See, and I went and put my money on Michael Judge yeah, no, I <laughs> before this. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I lost well, to the house. I think, yeah. I think he's already canonized That's in a fair. sense. He I mean, I think mart mart martyr charity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining yeah, us again, Jim. My thank pleasure. You. Great to be with you guys. Yeah. Could we, uh, would you mind just like reading your prayer for when you feel yeah, rejected? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Oh, yeah. That's a good way to stop. Yeah. <clears throat> so a prayer for when I feel rejected. Loving God, you made me who I am. I praise you and I love you, for I am wonderfully made in your own image. But when people make fun of me, I feel hurt and embarrassed and even ashamed. So please, God, help me remember my own goodness, which lies in you. Help me remember my dignity, which you gave me when I was conceived. Help me remember that I can live a life of love because you created my heart. Be with me when people make me feel less than, and help me to respond the way you would want me to, with a love that respects the other, but also respects me. Help me find friends who love me for who I am. Help me most of all to be a loving person. And God, help me remember that Jesus loves me, for he too was seen as an outcast. He too was misunderstood. He too was beaten and spat upon. Jesus understands me and loves me with a special love because of the way you made me. And when I'm feeling lonely, help me remember that Jesus welcomed everyone as a friend. Jesus reminded everyone that God loved them. Jesus encouraged everyone to embrace their dignity, even when others were blind to that dignity. Jesus loved everyone with the love that you gave him, and he loves me too. One more thing, God. Help me remember that nothing is impossible with you, that you have a way of making things better, that you can find a way of love for me, even if I can't see it right now. Help me remember all these things 
in the heart you created, loving God. Amen. Okay, now it's time for some listener mail. Uh, Our first letter comes from Kyle Tremonte, who sent a very timely uh, email to us. Um, He attends the Church of St. Francis Xavier here in New York, um, and he describes himself as a younger gay person, and he had avoided joining the the, uh, group that they had for ministry to LGBT. LGBTQ. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm here for support. <laughs> so he had avoided joining that group because he didn't really know what he, you know, he was younger and he wasn't really sure what they would talk about if it would just be like, you know, a weird, awkward conversation. But he made the jump and did it and joined this group and it's been very consoling for him. He's the youngest one at age 24 and there pe- there's a gay man as old as 91. Um, wow. So it's a very, he describes it as an intergenerational fraternity unlike any other. Um, and he writes, I cannot describe what it felt like when a member of the group who came to the service with his partner and was serving the, as a Eucharistic minister lifted the cup of wine, looked me straight in the eyes and said, Kyle, the blood of Christ. I had to excuse myself and cry because it was the first time I'd seen an action, the resilience, strength and faith of the gay men who have come before me. The spiritual journey of a gay person is, unfortunately, one that is marked by a tremendous amount of loneliness. This past Sunday, I did not feel alone, and on Pentecost Sunday, nonetheless. So, wow. thank you so much for sharing that yeah. with us, yeah, that's Kyle. Yeah, thank you, Kyle. Um, on a lighter note, <laughs> Martina <laughs> sent us a great email. Um, Dear Jesuitical, I just realized it could be Jesuit space tickle. Thanks for that. <laughs> no, wow. thank you, Martina, because I had oh, never realized wow. that it could be Jesuit tickle. <laughs> I love that our listeners are so much more clever than we are. Yeah. All right. Now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? So this week I've got a desolation. After several conversations with people uh, in my family, my friends, um, I always thought that I was this really selfless person who like listens to everyone. And I'm like, you know, practically like Mother Teresa, you know. Um, <laughs> but all jokes aside, um, I've had conversations with people close to me and they were just kind of like, look, you have to work hard at like actually listening to people and not being you have moments where you can be very, very selfish. Um, and at first, after initially being offended, I realized, oh, these are people who love you um, and who want the best for you. And then it was a sort of strange coincidence that I went to church on Sunday and the priest was like, you know, in order to really live out the grace of God and to really feel God's love, you have to care about others and you have to be selfless. Um, so I took that as at first I thought it was desolation, but I guess it could be both um, just to kind of re- realize that you're still growing. And, you know, the grace of God means you have to acknowledge your shortcomings Mm -hmm. you know so wow i always feel like you're listening to me (laughs) oh perfect okay (laughs) never mind i guess it's your job too but (laughs) actually i get paid to listen to you um after five o'clock i listen to none of you guys um but yeah no um (laughs) that's fair (laughs) um but yeah so that was very humbling yeah but no you you took a 
desolation and it seems like it really led to growth so it did after a lot of crying and turmoil but you know i'm here yeah so i mean one of the graces in that is i mean first of all uh, the grace that you have the uh, courage to actually hear that (laughs) i mean um and and listen to a close friend but also you know desolation is is not so much uh the fact that God isn't there, that God has abandoned us, but, uh, that, that, that God is working through that, through that desolation, um, as well. Right. Yeah. Thank you. What do you got, Ashley? I also have a desolation. Um, so on Monday night, I went to a book launch for Father James Martin's new book, um, about building bridges between the LGBT community and the church hierarchy. Um, and it, that was not desolating in itself. It was a really lovely event. Um, there is, uh, there is a bunch of like elected officials from New Jersey there to like express their support for it. Um, Jim gave a great talk. Um, but I was, as I was leaving, uh, the event, a man walked up to me, um, and we were just, we started talking and he was like, you know, as great as Father Jim Martin's talk was, like, this, this really means absolutely nothing to me until the church changes its language and teachings and doctrine around LGBT issues like there as long as kids are killing themselves and as long as partners um, can't come to mass and show affection for each other like heterosexual people then like it's nice that one priest is saying this but like I don't I still don't feel like I really belong and so like it was just like it the whole the whole night had been so optimistic and like oh my gosh this is a real like kairos moment in the church where like these two groups are coming together um but then that was just like and when when he told me this like i i didn't i didn't know what to say and i didn't think that there was really anything i could say to convince him um and before then like the pain that the lgbt community felt in the church had always been pretty abstract to me it was not my personal experience um so listening to him it was hard i felt very helpless and yeah i mean one of the things i think that the evil spirit loves to do is they'll wrap us of our joy we'll say oh yeah we have so much farther to go we're never gonna get there this is a really uphill battle just give up yeah right yeah the yeah so the the other way to react would be to see it as like a call to further action absolutely yeah absolutely That's the good spirit. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Zach, what do you have? Well, you know, um, right now, um, you know, as I was saying before, uh, all my, most of my work is with people who are incarcerated or formerly incarcerated, right? And um, in particular, in some of the New York state prisons, we're working with a lot of people who have been in prison for 20, 30, maybe 40 years, right? They went in as juvenile offenders, were given life, or they were given, you know, 30, 40 years. Well, we had a whole slew of guys who were going through the, going before the parole board this last week um, to see if they could be granted parole. Well, all our guys were hit by the parole board. And for many of them, it was the third or fourth time being hit by the parole board. Being hit by the parole board is just simply being denied parole, um, that you have served uh, uh, your your sentence and that you qualify for parole um, at the parole board's discretion. And being hit by it means saying, no, come back to us in two years or no, come back to us in 12, uh, 12 months. And going into this retreat and um, being with them and hearing the news that they were hit again by the parole board, um, I just was 
I just felt it very deeply. You know, I love these guys and they, I, I know them and I, I feel for them. And, um, at the end of the retreat, I was saying, well, let's pray for, um, um, the parole board that, that we could, you know, get some more just and humane, um, sentences and that maybe we can really get some, uh, parole, uh, board members who really hear, um, the, the stories of people, um, who have served all this time and are ready, um, uh, to reenter. And one of the guys came up to me, uh, afterwards and said, you know, the parole board might have given up hope, but God never gives up hope. And I thought to myself afterwards, I thought, yeah, I mean, everyone around us, right, can be against us, but the God's cheering us on, like God is on our side. Like that, that's really what it means to be, I think, a, a companion of Jesus is to know that Jesus is your first and last companion and that, that it really doesn't matter the voices that are going on, or even if you're locked up and locked up for life, right? So there's a, a consolation and a desolation in this. And then, uh, just, um, and just uh, yesterday, uh, Governor Cuomo had the opportunity uh, to uh, be appointing new uh, parole board justices. And there were five per particular uh, justices on the, the uh, parole board that have just been very punitive. They've been on since the Pataki administration, and they've just been keeping people locked up and locked up and locked up. And the governor um, chose not to reappoint them. And there's a, there's a new list going before the Senate for an approval. So maybe there's a good spirit working all this, new, fresh eyes, right? New, fresh approach to, to looking um, at parole and, and how we do parole. So I think the message that's that's real um, in my own discernment of this this experience I had is, is really the message of the good spirit is, is not to lose hope. Like we can't lose hope because God has hope um, and uh, stick with that. Wow. Nice. We should have Jesuits on more often. I know. It, it's kind of like you guys really know, get the whole consolation, desolation thing. <laughs> But that was really beautiful. That was great. Yeah, good work. I, you did so well that we might invite you to come back next week. Wow. <laughs> no, thank you. I have this great admiration for America Media, as you all know. And so to uh, be invited to be a part of this is, is, is really, I had a lot of fun. Thank okay. you. Next, next time I expect you in Lace. <laughs> Ooh, and what about the red shoes? Yeah, Lace, red shoes. Oh, all right, going for credit. <laughs> Don't forget, the devil wears Prada. <laughs> Okay. Jazz Whitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Wyatt Massey and Eloise Bondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit Formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Adult Supervision provided by Carrie Weber. Adverbs this week provided by Michelle Kerr. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. Research help provided by Anna Marchese and Jack McCordick. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show and send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Prosciutti. Prosciutti. Pros Sounds too much like prosciutto. Yeah, it really, that really <laughs> throws us off as well. But for Zach, Zach with an H. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week. <laughs>